listening to Goal Line Extended on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to Goal Line Extended on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. Today is Tuesday, May the 4th, and I'm your host, Ryan Host. Was glad that you could join us as we get set to look ahead to Conference Championship Week and Weekend and continue to look back on last Monday's PLL College Draft and the waiver wire and trade deadline this past Friday. Flash's Harrison Silcox will be back and he will be joining me momentarily to tee up what you need to know as we get into conference championship season with quarterfinals and semifinals popping off throughout the week. And in the wake of last Monday night's PLL college draft, Pat Gregoire will be joining me to look back at the drafts of the Redwoods, the Archers, the Whipsnakes, and Chrome, as well as the final trades and waiver acquisitions ahead of this past Friday's deadline. But before Pat joins us, I'll be joined by new Water Dogs goalie Dylan Ward, fresh off hashtag trade Ward as he was sent from the chaos to the Water Dogs for attacking Westberg in a selection in the first round of next year's college draft. So we had a new Water Dog on Friday and second overall college draft selection, Mike Sowers, head coach Andy Copeland was on the show not too long ago before the college draft. And then right before that, we had Eli Gobrecht, another new Water Dog, although he was still a member of the Archers at the time of that interview. And then LSM Ryland Reese. So probably safe to say, if you're a Water Dogs fan, probably the last time for a while that you'll be hearing from a member of last year's expansion team. But Dylan Ward will be joining us after we're finished up here with our college lacrosse discussion as we should be seeing him in between the pipes for the first time this season as the PL, in the PLL as a member of the Water Dogs Lacrosse Club. Make sure to stay tuned for that. But joining me now to look back at the final weekend of the 2021 regular season and to look ahead to what should be a wild and exciting week in college lacrosse, Harrison Silcox returning for back-to-back shows here of Goal Line Extended, officially the first analyst to pull a back-to-back here for us as we look ahead to an exciting show. Harry, what's going on, my man? Uh, not too much. Uh, exciting last weekend in lacrosse, and it's just going to get better from here on out. And I mean, I think the biggest news of the day is, you know, you mentioned it, first back-to-back guest on... Oh, yeah. B- biggest yeah. news of the day by far. <laughs> Excited that you were here, my man. Let's get right after because there's so much to talk about, and really, I don't I don't really know where to begin. Obviously, we had games this past weekend. Everyone in Division One, college across, except for the Big Ten, for the most part, finishing their regular season this past weekend as the Big Ten got their tournament started a week early. Let's start with the big guns in the ACC. Can't really go wrong with that. Virginia had the weekend off after finishing their regular season last weekend. They're coming off back-to-back losses to Syracuse and Duke the past two weeks with a win over Utah tossed in there as well. At the beginning of last week and then already into this week, though, I've heard calls for UVA to try to add another game, another winnable game here down the stretch, especially with some of these Ivy programs looking to get back into action. We saw Dartmouth and Penn recently, so hopefully we'll get to see Virginia ahead of a NCAA tournament. Maybe they could pick up a game or two here down the stretch. Could prove beneficial, but the other four ACC teams were in action. Predominantly, Notre Dame beating up Syracuse 22-8 to behind 10 points from Pat Kavanaugh. A nice 5-5 five and five outing from him, and then including Kavanaugh, 11 different goal scorers for the Irish, including six with at least two goals. The same could not be said about Syracuse. Just eight goals in total for the Orange and somehow managing to stay towards the top of the national ranking, something that really doesn't make much sense to me. And I know it doesn't make much sense to you either, but we know what Notre Dame is. We knew what they were coming into this game and and they proved it. Still one of the best teams in the country led by one of the top defenses. And you cannot say the same about Syracuse. You definitely can't say the same about their defense. And we've on this show talked extensively about their defensive struggles. So no need to highlight them more. But Harrison, I'll ask you this very simple question. Why is Syracuse not in your eyes an NCAA championship team this season? 
I think it's just the defense. I mean, you mentioned it. I think that their uh, off-ball defense in particular has just not been what you want it to be if you want to compete for a national championship this year. I think Drake Porter has been put in a lot of difficult situations where guys are getting really good looks at the cage. And, you know, he was preseason goalie of the year, uh, but just kind of tough when your defense isn't helping you out very much and, and guys are getting open off cuts and things like that. I mean, when Notre Dame puts up 22 goals on you and you just have eight to show for it, I, I mean, that's that's a pretty rough way to win your conference season. And so that's where I think it starts for Syracuse. And then one, one thing is it just kind of started to seem like when Syracuse would let teams go on runs against them or give up big leads, they just never really responded well. Uh, we saw them, you know, when they played Army, go way back to the beginning of the season. They, they got off to an awesome start. You know, the high train was rolling for Syracuse. Uh, and because people, you know, had expectations for them to win the ACC, go to a national championship. You know, they were preseason favorites in the ACC and they got off to a hot first quarter against Army. Then Army goes on a run. Syracuse never looked the same. They got off to a lead against Notre Dame the first time they played. Notre Dame goes on a run, takes the lead. Syracuse never quite looks the same. They hung with Notre Dame toward the beginning of this game and looked like, you know, they might turn the ship around at the right time and then Notre Dame goes on a run there in that second quarter and then it just kind of elevates from there for Notre Dame and Syracuse just never has that counter punch and I think that's been a real big difference for them and, and why we've seen them get blown out in multiple games uh, this year they you know big loss to UNC blowout by Army in the Carrier Dome and then two blowouts by Notre Dame to get swept by the Irish this year it's not good but it's not the end of the world for Syracuse uh, I, I don't know how, uh, but they're 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 still hanging in there in the top ten. They're ninth in the country in, in this week's media poll, but they don't control their own destiny. Is the problem right now? Uh, I it just they really need to root for basically no upsets in any of these conference tournaments. In particular, the Big East. Uh, you could throw the Patriot League in there, and then also the Big Ten. The Irish looking to grab one of those top rankings for the tournament, maybe a three or a four or a five seed, while the Orange, as you're saying, kind of on the outside looking in, hoping for an invitation here to the table. As a as you're saying, they do not control their own destiny. Again, hoping for uh, no upsets here in these. We're going to get to these conference uh, championships in a second, but hoping for no upsets, meaning Lehigh's got to win the Patriot League. Uh, Denver's Denver or Georgetown essentially have to win the Big East. Maryland or Rutgers got to win uh, the Big Ten. So no upsets whatsoever. Syracuse then could be in. That's not a definite that they'll get in with no upsets, but could be in. Uh, let's move on to Duke and UNC. They went at it on Sunday afternoon in their regular season finale. And with no ACC tournament this year, this game would crown the ACC champion. However, it didn't exactly do that. Instead, it crowned co-champions as UNC knocked off Duke. Duke won the last matchup early in the year, and then somehow, however the tiebreaker played itself out, it produced co-champs for this season. So Duke and UNC sharing in that honor. I'd imagine they both love to hear that one. But regardless, a great game here between two of the top teams in the country. What are your biggest takeaways heading into May for both of these teams as they should be? We're thinking two-seed, three-seed, possibly a one-seed for one of these teams. What are your uh, takeaways from this one heading into the month of May? Uh, my two biggest takeaways, uh, plain and simple, both these teams are really good, and I wouldn't be surprised if either one of them won a national championship. Uh, I was just really impressed, though, with 
North Carolina's ride, uh, they didn't necessarily force a lot of turnovers. They just make it really difficult to cross the midfield line. And then they continue to make it difficult once you get it to the other side of the field. It's not an easy team uh, to comfortably set up your offense against when you're clearing the ball. And, and North Carolina's hustle just really impresses me, too. I mean, they go after balls uh, as, as good as anybody in the country. They, they won the ground ball battle 37-22, to 22, I think I had down uh, against Duke. And, and not to mention, you know, the ride as well, that, that that just looked great. And then possessions are so important in lacrosse, especially in these close games. And they have the guys who can make sure that they value those possessions. And Chris Gray, he had six points on the day. They've got the midfield uh, that, that just counters really well with Chris Gray. I mean, when Gray came to that team in 2020, I mean, he just fit right in. It was it was really special to watch that non-conference play, how well he handled things coming from Boston over to North Carolina. It was like he'd been there a year prior, maybe even two, and then he just picked up right where he left off this year. So North Carolina, if they met Duke in the tournament, I mean, it's kind of a 50-50 shot after watching this game and how they hustled for loose balls and they just make those game game-breaking plays at times. Uh, I would give North Carolina an edge in, in a matchup against these two teams. But also uh, on Duke's side, I mean, Brendan O'Neill really impressed. Hey, Colin Creek kind of got the better of him uh, in that game in net. But Brendan O'Neill, I mean, looked as strong and as physical as ever. Uh, and it's just crazy that he's just a freshman. Michael Sowers also had seven points. They each have two elite lockdown defenders. I mean, these two teams are so evenly matched. And I, I mean, I think North Carolina put up a real fight to maybe take the number one spot in the media poll this week. Obviously, it didn't happen. Uh, but if something something weird happens in the Big Ten tournament, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Tar Heels take that top seed. But I mean, I, I just walked away, you know, thinking, man, that was a great lacrosse game. And I really hope to see both of these teams championship weekend because they both deserve to be there, frankly. Oh, yeah. We had Duke and UNC a few weeks ago. Duke won that one in overtime. I've, we, we talked about that once when we were there at that time. Obviously, this one going the other way here for Duke. Not in overtime, but still a tight one uh, that UNC came out on top. Hopefully, hoping that we can see these two teams, if they're not at Final Four weekend, if, if we could see them even before that, maybe a quarterfinal matchup, that would be extremely exciting there to see Duke and UNC go at it again. Uh, in terms of the rest of the ACC, they are now done with their regular season. They do not have a postseason uh, conference tournament. So for all four, for four of those teams, uh, for Virginia, for Duke, for UNC, and Notre Dame, their regular seasons are done. Syracuse picked up one more game against Robert Moore, so an opportunity here to try to uh, maybe their last showcase here uh, ahead of the NCAA tournament, trying to get that last bit as we were talking about before. Let's move on to the Big Ten because they held their quarterfinals this past Saturday, and both of them turned out to be upsets. Number five, Michigan knocking off Ohio State 15-11, to and then Johns Hopkins going on the road to Penn State where the Big Ten tournament will be held, and they beat Penn State 15-7. to What are your takeaways here from these two games? Obviously going to be seeing uh, some big semifinal matchups this week, but what are your takeaways from these two quarterfinal games? Uh, good for Michigan. That's an awesome win for that program uh, that, that could really, uh, you know, maybe maybe carry some momentum that extends just beyond this year. And not to mention, I mean, it's got to feel good to do it against your rival in Ohio State, right? Your biggest rival there, and and they've effectively ended the Buckeye season. Like they they're not they they're not going to make the tournament after a loss like that in the quarterfinal round in the Big Ten. So uh, that ends it though the the careers for guys like Tara Fanko and Leclerc who've just been with Ohio State for what what feels like a decade. 
uh, they've been there for so long. Uh, but but a, a huge win for Michigan. Good for the Wolverines. I was really surprised they pulled off the upset. I mentioned last week I thought OSU's experience was going to pull through, but Michigan kind of just came out ready to rumble, and they they were the ones who finished that game. And then for Hopkins, uh, I did mention last week. You know, I kind of called it. I, we both thought Hopkins might steal a game here in the Big Ten tournament. And Penn State's offense just never really was able to find its footing scoring the ball. Uh, Hopkins looked great on defense. They impressed even more on offense. The stars showed up. Epstein, DeSimone, Cole Williams, those guys, all three of them combined for 13 points. I mean, it, by far the best game that Hopkins has put together this year. Uh, Peter Milliman was talking after the game just kind of how about, you know, the system works. And then now the players are really starting to figure things out, which – could be scary for Rutgers coming up uh, in the semifinal. So I was really impressed with both these teams. Are they going to be favored to win their next games? Definitely not. But you have the two bottom seeds in the Big Ten getting wins in the quarterfinal. And that's always exciting when, when you start postseason play. So I, I, Big Ten was a ton of fun this week and, and good for both these programs, pulling off some upsets and what's been a difficult season. Absolutely. And then, as you said before, Ohio State, Penn State, probably their season's most likely done. Wouldn't expect them to get a uh, a bid here for the for the uh, NCAA tournament. So, as you said, the careers of Ryan Tarafenko, Trey LeClaire, uh, Mac O'Keefe, most likely over here in college. But again, we will be seeing them in the PLL very, very soon. So very excited about that. In terms of the semifinals here for the Big Ten, Thursday, May 6th. So that is this coming Thursday. Number one, Maryland will be taking on Michigan. That's at 5 p.m. on the Big Ten Network. And then Rutgers will be taking on Johns Hopkins at 7.30, also on the Big Ten Network. Looking ahead to these games, what are you most looking forward to uh, out of each of these matchups? Uh, well, Maryland, Michigan, last time they played Michigan, we got jumped out to that five-goal lead. Everybody was like, hey, is something happening here? And then Maryland scored 16 straight. So I'm interested to see what happens there. Uh, Johns Hopkins, I, th I thought that they were bringing in some momentum into the postseason. Uh, two of their last three games were fairly close. Those were against Ohio State and Maryland. Uh, in between those two games was a game against Rutgers that wasn't particularly close. Uh, they played each other twice this season, both the results 17-11 Rutgers win, 15-9 and earlier in the season, Rutgers win there. So I'm curious to see, can the Hopkins defense slow down what's been a really high-octane offense in Rutgers with guys like Charlotte Beatty's cursed Kieran Mullins? Uh, so can, can Hopkins slow those guys down and make stops when they need to? And then can the Stars continue to roll on offense? If they do, I think we could see a good one. I mean, it's really difficult to beat a team three times in a year. And Rutgers is going to have to do that against Hopkins, who, frankly, I, I wouldn't really want to be playing Johns Hopkins right now with, with how they've played of late. So uh, I'm, I'm just really interested to watch both these games, obviously. Uh, how does Michigan respond after that huge run they gave up the last time they played Maryland? And can Hopkins get some stops on defense? Semifinal again set to go Thursday, this Thursday, May 6th, starting at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Big Ten Network. The championship game set for Saturday, May 8th at 8 p.m. on the Big Ten Network. We'll be talking much more about that on Friday's show. Let's take a look at the Big East. They only have four teams uh, qualifying for their tournament, just a simple semifinal in championship, as most of the uh, conferences that we're going to be discussing today are like. Uh, semifinal, though, for the Big East set to go down Thursday, May 6th, starting at 5.30 p.m. Eastern on the CBS Sports Network, followed by the second game, which will be at 8.30. That first matchup featuring Denver, the number seven team in the country, taking on 
Providence, who is the host of this Big uh, Big East tournament, excuse me. And then the second matchup we'll have is Georgetown, the number eight team in the country, taking on Villanova, the number twelve team in the country. So as we're saying uh, with Syracuse, kind of how there's they want to how their chances, I should say, to get into the tournament. It rides big here, I think, on the Big East. If, let's say, a Villanova can come out of this tournament uh, as a winner, you might see three Big East teams uh, in the NCAA tournament. So looking ahead to these two matchups, Denver coming off a win, pro uh, overtime win, big overtime win for them. Uh, Denver and Providence, Georgetown and Villanova. What are you looking forward to in these matchups? Denver and Providence, I expect the Pioneers to take care of business in this matchup. Uh, they beat Providence fairly easily in their first two matchups. Uh, the face-off dynamic duo between uh, Stathakis and TD Erlin, uh, both those guys are awesome. By the way, uh, two weird last names, two face-off guys. Just that, That's been making me laugh all year with Denver. <laughs> But I, I do think they have the talent, uh, especially on offense, too. And, and that offense, I feel like, has just continued to grow as the season has gone on with some of the transfers they brought in and guys like Jackson Morrill and then uh, Ethan Walker continuing to do Ethan Walker things to, to help beat Villanova in overtime to end their regular season. Uh, for Georgetown, uh, they kind of dropped one late in the year against Loyola and Villanova upsets Lehigh this weekend. And I, I think this could be a really fun game. And Georgetown. They've got to come ready to play because this isn't the same Villanova team. I know they played each other twice, but if you remember that first game of the year, Georgetown only let Villanova score one goal. And Nova's offense has come a very long way since that opening game of the season. You know, they know that the last time they played was a little bit of a closer game, but you've got two teams who, in short history, trending in a little bit of different directions. So I think we're in store for a good one between Georgetown and Villanova. I think that Nova has the guys to get the offense rolling. I'm worried about, for the sake of Villanova, can they take care of faceoffs? Uh, James Riley has been really good this year for Georgetown, kind of not getting talked about enough behind the two guys who are playing out there in Denver, uh, as I just mentioned a moment ago. So can Nova take care of faceoffs? And if they if they aren't able to do that, they have to value as many possessions as they can get and, and take advantage of every opportunity they can have and then limit Caraway scoring opportunities and we can have ourselves a good game. Looking forward to a very fun and exciting Big East tournament. As you mentioned, those scores before Denver gained that overtime win over Villanova just under a week ago, but then Villanova coming back, beating Lehigh, who I think I have as my top Patriot League team going into the Patriot League tournament. I'd imagine you do as well, uh, being Lehigh, but Villanova beat Lehigh 16-8. to It wasn't even like they, they barely beat them. Beat them up pretty poorly. And then, as you said before, Loyola, another Patriot League team, I wouldn't consider the best Patriot League team, but they go out and beat Georgetown uh, last Thursday. So we're seeing a lot of shuffling here, kind of teams beating each other up, but very exciting stuff as we look ahead to uh, the semifinal on Thursday for the Big East, May, this Thursday, May 6th, and then the championship to also be held uh, on Saturday, May 8th, 3 p.m. on CBS Sports. Obviously, we'll know the matchup as we get closer throughout the weekend. Let's look again now to that Patriot League with – most of these uh, conferences set to do four teams in these conference tournaments, the Patriot League and the Big Ten being the two conferences that are doing six. So we're going to see three teams from the one side of the Patriot League, three teams from the other side of the Patriot League. For these quarterfinal matchups, those are set to go today, Tuesday, May 4. Boston University will be playing against Colgate. That's going to be on 6 p.m. on ESPN+. And then Loyola will be playing Navy, 5 p.m 
on ESPN Plus, and those will be followed by the semifinals on Friday, which will be Lehigh playing one of those two teams, Army playing one of those winners Friday, May 7. All those games being held at Lehigh. What are you looking forward to here? Boston University coming off, uh, I believe, two weeks off here uh, for them. Colgate has been uh, going at it these last couple weeks, and then Loyola coming off the big win over Georgetown. Navy as well uh, coming off a big win over Lafayette, 14-10 to 10 to end their season. What do you uh, – the, these Patriot League matchups, what are you looking forward to most? For the Boston-Colgate matchup, uh, I'm just kind of looking forward to ju just sitting back and, and seeing what happens in this game. It's kind of the best way uh, I know how to put it. These are two teams who got into the Patriot League, but, I mean, who, who's been talking about Boston or Colgate all season? Nobody. And no, nobody really has. It, people have been talking about Lehigh, uh, Army, Navy of late, and then Loyola is always in that conversation. So I'm looking forward to sitting back and watching these teams because I think both of these teams are – in this to prove to everybody, like, hey, look at us. We're over here. You know, look at how good of a team we are. We can compete with these guys. We can we can potentially steal a bid in this tournament. So I'm looking to see which one of these teams kind of wants to make a name for themselves a little bit more uh, after they've just had kind of quiet 2021 seasons. And again, not a whole lot of people talking about it. So I'm just going to sit back and enjoy it and see who kind of wants to make a name for themselves. And then Loyola and Navy, I'm I am excited for this one because Loyola, the win against Georgetown, and they have a lot of experience with them. Charlie Toomey's eight and two of the Patriot League. They've got an experienced team with guys like Aiden Olmstead, Kevin Lindley, Peter Swindell, uh, Ryan McNulty, another one uh, who's who's awesome in transition, a great LSM. Uh, but then Navy's also on a roll. I mean, they've won their last three games, including a win against Loyola, one against Army, and then another against Lafayette. So Two teams who are heading in the right direction uh, and could be a fun one. Uh, and so I'm looking forward to maybe Loyola after, if you look at their season as a whole, it hasn't been exactly what they wanted it to be. So can they make a final push here for a bit in the NCAA tournament? Uh, and, and they bring that experience to the guys who have been there before. So I think that helps. But Navy's just been been making the right plays, getting the right stops. I mean, they had a grind-out win against Army a few weeks ago, uh, and then to mention, too, that win against Loyola and one at the end of the year against Lafayette. So uh, two teams who feel like they can win this game and maybe even steal uh, an AQ in the NCAA tournament, but, but obviously only one can advance. So I, I think it's going to be a battle between those two teams, and I'm really excited for it. Very excited for this Patriot League action we have here on tap. Again, the quarterfinals set for today. First one to go off at 6 p.m. on ESPN+, Plus, or I should say the first one actually to go off at 5 p.m. on ESPN+, Plus between Loyola and Navy, Boston University, and Colgate at 6 p.m. on ESPN+. Plus. We'll have then the semifinals this coming Friday, May 7th, held at Lehigh. Lehigh and Army will be playing the two – or one – They'll each be playing one of the winners here from these other two matchups and then the championship on Sunday, May 9th. So we will be looking ahead to that much more. But really the Patriot League, I think, is that for the first conference based on what we've talked about so far today, the ACC, we're expecting at least three or four teams probably to make this tournament. Obviously no uh, AQ, no automatic qualifier, but we should have at least three or four teams uh, out of the ACC in the NCAA tournament, maybe five if we get Syracuse, maybe five. But really, we're looking at the Big Ten and the Big East. We should be getting two teams, I'd imagine, from both those conferences as long, we, as long as we don't see any upsets. So the Patriot League, probably that first conference that I would consider there, those big four, ACC, uh, Big Ten, Big East, Patriot League, probably the first one where there isn't two, I wouldn't say, definites 
out of the Patriot League to make the NCAA tournament. So probably you're going to have to win. If you want to make the tournament, you're probably going to have to win unless you're Lehigh. But obviously that loss to uh, Loyola does not help you last weekend. Yeah, and if I can point out too just how interesting this year has been in 2021 where everybody's playing under different conference scheduling rules. I mean, Big Ten, Big Ten only, playing everybody twice. The ACC, they had the non-conference, but, you know, you couldn't play teams in the Big Ten. There was no Ivy League this year. So kind of a lot of those big dog conferences, we didn't get to see them quite play each other. We did see some Big East ACC crossover, uh, a little bit of that with with Denver. Uh, also some Patriot League jumped in there as well. Uh, but I'm really curious to see what does the selection committee, what do they look at? What do they value? We know the media poll has Syracuse ninth in the country. How does the selection committee feel about that? Because there, there's a lot of talk about the eye test. And Syracuse, to me, has not looked good on the eye test when, you know, I I know some of their losses are to top five programs like Notre Dame and Duke and North Carolina. But those are, other than the Duke game, you're talking about three blowout losses there and then a blowout loss to Army at the beginning of the year. That's not good points for the eye test. So I'm really curious to see what the committee values. Obviously, we'll know we'll have a better idea when they actually select the tournament field after all these conference tournaments shake out. But yeah, how do you evaluate these teams? How do we truly know how good the Big Ten is? You know, and, and different things like that. It's it's made this year really interesting. And for some teams on the bubble, you really don't know where you're going to go. You really don't know what might be in favor. You you might be able to look at an RPI or a strength of record, strength of schedule, but how skewed are those numbers when the Big Ten's only playing the Big Ten and there's no Ivy League? And it's it's going to be weird. It's going to be fun, and I think it's gonna it's just going to be a really unique postseason. And I mean, get get ready for it because people people aren't going to be happy. There's going to be all sorts of controversy. It's why we love this time of the year. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know how they're going to evaluate some of these teams. But my my hunch tells me for Syracuse in particular, uh, I don't think it looks good for them. Uh, especially if we see some upsets in these conference tournaments. Absolutely. Upsets will hurt Syracuse. We do know that for certain. So if you are a Syracuse fan, hope for no upsets because uh, upsets will probably get you booted out of this tournament. Let's run through a few of these other uh, conferences set to go on Wednesday, set to get their semifinals started on Wednesday. The MAC set has their semifinal set for this Wednesday, May 5th. We're going to have Monmouth taking on St. Bonaventure and Manhattan taking on Canisius. This is actually a semifinal. The MAC actually had a quarterfinal, so St. Bonaventure and Canisius moving on. St. Bonnie's is actually the sixth seed there in the MAC, so we'll see them go at it. Canisius also defeated Maris, Maris being the three seed, 14-13 to 13 this past Friday. So Maris, after uh, their season, they're kind of up and – or not really up and down season. They didn't play. They were trying to, uh, for pretty much all season, trying to play – uh, you know, the whole hashtag free Marist. Uh, they do get bounced out out of this tournament, though. So we will see Monmouth and St. Bonnie's, Manhattan and Canisius on Wednesday, 3 p.m. on ESPN Plus for the Monmouth St. Bonnie's game, 7 p.m. on ESPN Plus for Manhattan and Canisius. And then the championship for the MAC on Saturday, May 8th. Uh, those times uh, currently to be determined. For the NEC, their semifinal will be also on Wednesday. We're going to have number one, St. Joseph, who is the current number 19 in the country. They will be taking on uh, LIU, and then Hobart will be taking on Bryant. Again, those are uh, Wednesday, tomorrow, the semifinals with the championship on Saturday. And in the SOCON, Richmond, the number 20 team in the country, they will be taking on Air Force. That is for 5.30 on Wednesday on ESPN+. And number two, High Point, will be taking on Jacksonville at 8 p.m. 
that championship also set for Friday. I shouldn't say also set that championship uh, championship set for Friday, May seventh. So very excited uh, about those games coming up. And then for the other two conferences set to start on Thursday, the CAA, their semifinal will be held Thursday, May 6th at Hofstra. We're going to have Delaware taking on Hofstra and then Drexel taking on UMass, another very exciting conference uh, that we've seen some good lacrosse out of the CAA. Again, for Syracuse, no upsets here in the CAA. We can't, cannot have upsets in the, uh, the CAA if we want Syracuse to get in. And then for the America East, very exciting America East, I would kind of say, I put uh, the ACC, Big Ten, Big East, Patriot League as of this year. Obviously, no Ivy League. But those are kind of the big four conferences we've been watching very closely this season. I would say the America East right there as a close five. We'll have a semifinal on Thursday, May 6th. That will be at UMBC. We're going to have UMBC, the current number 17 in the country, taking on Albany. And then Vermont and Stony Brook will be going out of Vermont, coming off a win this week over Stony Brook, 14 to 13. So we're going to have that rematch uh, set up for us. And uh, those games both on America East TV, 1 p.m. Thursday for UMBC Albany, and then 4 p.m. Eastern for Vermont and Stony Brook with the championship to be held Saturday at 10 a.m. These two matchups, UMBC Albany, Vermont, and Stony Brook, what are you looking for in these in these two games? Uh, I mean, just the America East, it's been really exciting this year. Uh, for Vermont and Stony Brook, Vermont has been really fun to watch this year. I talked about it on last week's show, uh, and I'll touch on it again. Just go watch the last 30 seconds of their win against Stony Brook. I mean, I, I think it was a behind-the-back goal, game winner. Uh, just, I mean, ridiculous stuff. Uh, and so that's going to be a really good one for those teams who, after a dramatic win, go right back at it. Uh, and then in the UMBC game, the UMBC, I mean, they, they're, the, they're the top seed, but – I mean, don't sleep in Albany uh, and Scott Marr. He's been here before. He's been in these positions. He's the only team out of this conference to make it to a championship weekend, I believe. Um, and, I mean, the America East has been really unpredictable this year too. Uh, and, and it's just Very a tough, tough grinded-out sort of game. So if you if you like that look, that style of lacrosse, that style of play, uh, it's just going to be a really fun tournament. But – I'm just excited to, to watch Vermont play a little bit more because, I mean, what that offense brings to the table in terms of highlight goals has just been a blast to watch all season. The America East and the CAA, I'd have to say, in terms of just excitement of teams just beating each other, that's literally <laughs> America East. It's like one weekend UMBC will beat Albany, but then the next weekend Albany will beat Vermont, and then Vermont will beat UMBC, but Stony Brook will beat UMBC, but UMBC will turn around and beat Vermont. It's the same thing we're seeing with the CAA. So those two conferences giving us a lot of good stuff. And then even, I mean, looking at the SOCON, we got Richmond and Air Force this weekend in High Point and Jacksonville. Air Force beat Richmond this past weekend 9-8. High Point beat Jacksonville 16-11. to And those are High Point being the three-seed, Air Force being the four-seed. So very exciting lacrosse. We're getting a lot of rematches coming up here this weekend as we get into championship uh, or conference championship lacrosse, but very exciting stuff. Uh, I believe Jordan Johnson currently is lined up for Friday's show for us here on GLE. We're going to hope and pray that UMBC wins on Thursday night so we can look ahead on uh, on Friday morning to uh, hopefully a conference championship there for UMBC at their home stadium uh, on Saturday afternoon. So great stuff here as we look ahead to conference championship. Harrison, appreciate you joining me, my friend. As always, uh, a pleasure having you as we look ahead to a big week of conference tournament action. And then to a big weekend, we'll be back on Friday, like I just said, to look ahead to the championship games. Water Dogs goalie Dylan Ward will be joining me next. Do not go anywhere. We'll be right back.
extended on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. Welcome back to the show. Goal line extended on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. I hope you're all having an incredible day wherever you might be and hopefully enjoying the show. Make sure to follow and subscribe to GL Extended and Lacrosse Flash if you are. Big show today as we look ahead to conference championships this weekend. The Big Ten already rocking along as they held both of their quarterfinals this past weekend. The ACC already crowned its champ, or I guess I should say co-champs, as even with that loss, Duke gets to share a part of that championship with UNC. But the rest of the field set to get started this week. We have eight Division I conference championships coming our way this weekend. Make sure to tune in on Friday as we look ahead to those matchups. But we also have some action as the PLO waiver wire and trade window closed last Friday, April 30 being the official deadline. And then we had some announcements trickle in over the weekend. One of them involving a trade with this man that will be joining us in a few seconds. A member of Team Canada. He was the 2014 and 2018 goalkeeper of the World Championships. And in 2014, the MVP of the tournament as Canada took home the gold in Denver. He was a Tourton Trophy nominee as a senior at Bellarmine in 2013. A 66% save clip, which also unanimously earned him the ECAC Goalie of the Year. He was drafted in both the NLL and MLL drafts. The third overall pick of the 2013 NLL Entry draft, and last year he made the transition from the MLL to the PLL. And after watching two-time goalie of the year Blaze Reardon light it up and lead the chaos to the 2020 Championship Series final, he should have his chance this year to win a starting role after being traded to the Water Dogs. Much more on that as we get going here. But joining me now, Colorado Mammoth and new Water Dogs goalie Dylan Ward. Dylan, what's going on, my man? Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Hey, glad that you can take the time here to uh, join us after hashtag trade ward, which practically started up there after you got drafted in last year's entry draft by chaos head coach Andy Towers. That kind of came back up here in the conversation that has finally come to fruition as ahead of Friday's deadline. You were sent to the Water Dogs for a first round selection in next year's college draft and attackman Westberg, just the latest of a handful of blockbuster trades this offseason. And most of those trades involving your new head coach, Andy Copeland, leading up to this trade deadline and then to this trade. What were those conversations like with Coach Copeland and Coach Towers, if any, as they uh, each tried to get their roster set before training camp, this trade looking like the final straw of those offseason moves? Yeah, I mean, we, I had a couple conversations with uh, Andy Towers this offseason, and, and, you know, we uh, – we, we had some pretty pretty straightforward conversations just about what the future looked like for me and being in, with the chaos. And, and uh, I had mentioned that I, I wanted uh, an opportunity to, to, to play and to start somewhere. Um, and I realized that, you know, Blaze Jordan back-to-back goalie of the year has played unbelievable since the PLL started. That that realistically wasn't going to happen with, in a chaos uniform unless something happened to Blaze himself. And obviously, I don't want that to happen to anyone. So, you know, we had some conversations. Um, AT totally got it. And, you know, it was kind of on his radar to begin with as well. Um, you know, it took a little bit longer than I think both of us expected. But, uh, you know, ultimately the, the trade happened. Talked to Coach Copeland uh, briefly on Friday. He was excited, as was I. And, and uh, hopefully I'll get to catch up with him a little bit later this week. We saw Connor Fields traded uh... – we're pretty much at the start of this this offseason, we were kind of expecting, oh, we see Connor Fields get moved. I thought that the idea was that you were going to be the next name to get moved. Obviously, took the entire offseason here as right before the deadline, you do get moved. But for anybody that that isn't like big, big lacrosse watchers, just imagine like Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady being on the same roster 
at quarterback. That's pretty much what it was this past summer with with Blaze and with Dylan Ward here uh, on this chaos roster. Didn't even get a chance uh, to suit up in the tournament, but obviously Blaze, as you said before, had a phenomenal outing, a phenomenal tournament for him as he won his second straight goal of the year, got you guys to the final. Unfortunately, didn't get the uh, results you were hoping for, but got all the way there to the final. Andy Copeland, though, this offseason, pulling some strings here to field what won't just be a new-look defense, but but largely a new-look team with the additions of Ryan Brown, Mike Sowers, Mikey Schlosser, Eli Gobrek, Liam Burns, Ben Randall. It's a long list. It goes on and on. I tweeted over the weekend. It got some pretty good engagement, but getting the chance to play with these guys, these names, especially those guys at the end or uh, on, on the defensive end, how excited are you for that? And then what's the expectation for this group here heading into 2021? Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. Um, you know, defensively, Eli Gobrick played with him for a few years with the, with the Denver Allies. I think he's an incredible player. Um, you know, and then, you know, you look up and down the roster, Mikey Schlosser, Zach Curry are both former Allies as well. They're, they're good friends of mine. And, you know, Curry, I was basically in contact every day for the, for the whole off season and, and um, really excited to be able to play with them again, but back to the defense, you know, you got BJ Grill and Ben Randall who, and Liam Burns, three guys who have all kind of, um, you know, made a name for themselves on the defensive end of the field in the, the professional game. So I think that the, this Water Dogs team is going to look a lot different than it did in the, in the tournament. And, you know, it was a team last in the tournament last year that was was one or two pieces away. And, you know, I think Andy Copeland was was really bullish on this team and, and made some decisions that he thinks will, will help get the, us over the hump. And hopefully I can be a part of that. I talked to Coach Copeland about two weeks ago or a week and a half ago, and that was kind of the the message that we were, it feels like a goal away, a piece away at times. It, it was kind of like some games that you guys start, or not you guys, because you were obviously with the Chaos last year, but the War Dogs started early, finished real slow, or they started real slow, but they finished against the Chrome. They put up like eight, eight or eight plus goals, I believe, in that fourth quarter there uh, against Chrome in their final group play game. But really just like that, that last piece, and obviously hoping that you can be that last piece. You're moved from one Canadian heavy team, though, to the next. The chaos kind of heralded as Team Canada, the War Dogs, like kind of like Team Canada Junior, but including yourself, a long list of guys from above the border. Zach Courier, Ben McIntosh, Mikey Schlosser, Ryland Reese, a fellow all-world player like yourself, Jake Withers, among the other Canadians on this team. How excited are you to chase a championship now again with this group? Yeah, I'm really excited. Um, you know, I don't uh, – Schlosser's actually from California, but I'd love to have him in Canada. But uh, – you know, these guys, you know, great guys, played with them all for Team Canada in 2018. Absolute warriors. I've been playing against Ben McIntosh for decade plus now, and, and it's fine and nice. It's nice to finally be on the same side of him in the, in the professional ranks. But, you know, you, they have such a great nucleus to, to build around. And, and, you know, I'm just hopeful that this year things can kind of go their way, our way a little bit better. And, um, you know, I, I don't see why, you know, the, the, a championship or, or a deep playoff run isn't in the cards for this team. We threw Schlosser's name in there. Why not? We'll just throw his name in there. Very talented uh, list here, as you mentioned here, on the defensive side. B.J. Grill, Liam Burns, Ben Randall. You're bringing back Brian Carolun. is kind of a name that was dropped by Andy Copeland, then picked back up. But Ryland Reese, Noah Richard, a guy that, that we, we might not see this season with his military obligations, but hopefully to see into the future. But you're going to be playing there on a with a pretty uh, – Talented defense, very talented group there on the defensive end. Obviously, Eli Gobert, a guy that I spoke to a few weeks ago, obviously as a member of the Archers then. We'll see, maybe we can get him back on the show to talk a little bit about the dogs, but definitely excited to see you in goal. We don't want to jinx anything or speak anything into existence before 
we get to training camp, but it's kind of hard to imagine trading a first-round selection uh, of a college draft for a guy that you don't expect to start or play. Then again, we could say the same about the drafting of yourself last year in the first round of the entry draft to sit on the sideline of Utah. And what we were being told was over 100 degrees. And, and you're out there in sweatpants and long sleeves. You want to explain that? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was hot. Um, you know, it, it was it was over 100 degrees. It was the artificial turf, so that made it even hotter. But, you know, it wasn't too bad. We played over in Israel in 2018, and that was just the super hot and super muggy. And I don't think I've ever experienced anything like that before. So, you know, Utah wasn't too bad. And, you know, I'm not going to change just because of the weather. That is one thing I could not wrap my hand or head around. I see you on the sideline in your sweatpants sweat, or uh, long sleeve. And I'm like, you got to be roasting out there. Sweatpants, I'd imagine, are staying around, though, here in 2021 and, and going beyond? Oh, 100%. Absolutely. I like to hear that. We're expecting that you'll be taking over in between the pipes uh, for your new team. But what's the excitement level there? You're going to be a uh, PLO debut. Obviously, didn't get the chance to do that last season. So how excited are you for that opportunity? Yeah, I mean, I still – my mindset is I need to go in and prove it. Um, you know, I'm going to have the same mindset I did last year. And, and going into camp, you know, I've, nothing's been given to me. Nothing's been handed to me. I've got to go in and show the, the coaches and the team and everyone involved uh, what I can do and what I can bring to this uh, organization. So, I'm, uh, you know, the hard work's just begun. You know, I've been given an opportunity somewhere where I, I could be the starter. But, you know, I've, I've ultimately got to go out there and show out and show them why I should be. The other two goalies on the roster as well with you, Charlie Cipriano, Matt DeLuca. He was a rookie last year, so still a young player developing in this league. Cipriano, a veteran, or more on the veteran side, I should say. How excited are you to get into the, the I guess, really the, the room with them, the goalie room, and uh, kind of just bounce stuff off them, kind of learn from them. Hopefully they learn from you. How excited are you to uh, get going with these two guys? Yeah, really excited. Uh, Charlie Cipriano is a guy I've known for a while. Played against him in college for three years. Um, haven't been teammates with him in the pros, but, you know, been really friendly with him uh, for, for a number of years. And uh, he's just an overall great guy and excited to be with him. Matt DeLuca, I don't know a ton about. Um, you know, he, he did a really good job in the, in the bubble last year when he got his opportunity. But, you know, just excited to go go to battle with him, excited to compete with him and compete against him. And, you know, hopefully uh, the best man wins in terms of that goalie battle. And, and uh, you know, I, I, we're, we're all better off for it in the long run. Three really strong goalies uh, fighting for one spot. Absolutely. We're looking at some of these rosters and it's kind of like teams that have two faceoff guys or two goalies. We were expecting them to add a third, whether it just be to create competition or if you plan to bring three into the season. That's also obviously a possibility, but definitely two being brought into the season. Definitely two, obviously, for those game day roster spots. But the possibility of three being on team rosters, that definitely can't be one that we look look aside because I'd imagine that three guys do make a few of these rosters, maybe not for faceoff spots, but definitely for the goalie position. Dylan, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us here today on Goal Line Extended. Looking ahead to the 2021 season, we are just over a month out. What are you most excited for when it just pertains to the season? Obviously, you're gonna, you didn't get a chance last year to uh, do the, the tour-based model and travel around the country, obviously being with COVID. So you're going to have the opportunity to travel for the first time. We're not exactly going to be having uh, the one game per weekend. We're going to be having a few opportunities for you where you'll be playing two games in a weekend. So kind of going back to that, that championship series kind of format there. Uh, what are you most excited for when it pertains to the 2021 season? Honestly, I'm just excited to play, um, to have as normal a regular season as possible. Obviously, it's been a, a tough year and a bit here with, in terms of COVID and everything away from lacrosse. But, the you know, my last NLL season was cut short. You know, the bubble last year was, was very condensed. Uh, NLL season canceled again this year. So I'm just excited to get back out there and play and compete. And, you know, I, I turned 30 this year, so – 
Um, you know, as, as a lot of people would say, I'm kind of on the back end of my, my career. So I'm just excited for another opportunity to get there, get out there and play because, you know, truly, I don't know how many more years I would have left. Absolutely. Unless you're trying to pull a uh, Brody Merrill and go maybe <laughs> nine or 10 more. We'll see yeah. about that one. But Dylan, hey, thank you so much, my man, for joining us. Best of luck this summer. I hope to talk to you soon, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Have a good one. Take it easy, my man. Welcome back to GLE, Tuesday, May the 4th, as we look to wrap up another big show here of Goal Line Extended with Conference Championships teeing off this week and into the weekend. We had Harrison Silcox on earlier to discuss all of that, some moves in the PLL as well as we approach and then pass Friday's trade and waiver wire deadlines. And we just finished up a brief conversation with one of those guys that was just moved ahead of those deadlines. New Water Dogs goalie Dylan Ward as he looks ahead to what will probably be his first uh, P- or what will be his PLO debut here in 2021 after sitting behind Blaze Reardon with the chaos at last year's tournament in Utah. But that wasn't the only trade that went down as we headed into this past weekend. And we also have some last-minute waiver ads to discuss as well as the results of the college draft for the Archers, the Chrome, the Redwoods, and the two-time defending champion Whipsnake. So a pretty packed slate here for us today. And diving in with me to discuss all of it is Flash Analyst and Lacrosse Insider Pat Gregoire. Pat, what's going on, my man? Welcome back to GLE. How you doing? Doing great, man. Anytime I'm on GLE, it's a it's a good time. So let's oh, get ready to hey. rock and roll. We got, we got a big show here planned as well. A lot of, lot of stuff to cover today. I don't think there's any other way to feel right now then excited for what's around the corner for us as as lacrosse fans. This is this is like lacrosse heaven that we are walking into uh, as we get into the month of May here. Conference championships going down, which will lead right into the NCAA tournament. And then the PLO season will immediately follow that exactly a month from today, June 4th. So very exciting stuff as we get into the month of May. But the month of April would not go out without a bang. The college draft took place last Monday night, and then the final stages of the offseason wrapping up, and a few head coaches and teams deciding to gift us with some last-minute action. So let's take a look at it and discuss. But first, as an early disclaimer for everyone watching and or listening, Dan Aresti and I looked at the draft for the Atlas, the Water Dogs, the Chaos, and the Cannons on Friday's show. So make sure to check that out if you haven't, as we won't be going into too much detail on their drafts today. But we will be discussing a few of those teams today after the moves they made ahead of Friday's deadline. So stay tuned for that. But we're going to start with head coach Tim Sudan and Chrome. Sudo holding the third and 12th overall selections of this draft. And as we correctly predicted, it did come down to who Sudan looked at as the best player on the board, not named Jeff T or Michael Sowers when he selected at three overall as T and Sowers went one and two respectively. Some though, like myself, thought that the best player available was Virginia LSM Jared Connors. But looking at the Chrome roster ahead of the draft and then obviously looking back on it, not really a need there at LSM with Eli Salama and Joel White uh, returning there. Others looked at the other top uh, polls available, specifically JT Giles-Harris and Jack Kielty, and then some, and I should say more specifically myself, you as well, had Ohio State midfielder Ryan Tarafenko going off the board here to fill what could be numerous roles and filling holes here on this team, a guy that I know you like a lot, given all the different things he can do in terms of playing offense and defensive midfield and then taking faceoffs if needed. Now, 
those were the names that we had available for Sudan at three overall. And if, if you watched the draft or at least checked out the results, you would know that Sudan somehow got two of these guys in this draft. JT Giles-Harris at three overall, and then Ryan Tarafenko falling all the way to 12 with UNC midfielder Justin Anderson then going in round three in Denver and former Yale attackman Jackson Merrill going off the board in round four. Pat, obviously the conversation has been around the Atlas and their draft, their retool of sorts this offseason and in this draft. Andy Towers in the chaos had six picks, so a fairly large lens was put on them. And then Andy Copeland sent two picks away for two proven starters at the pro level who should make an immediate impact. But if you ask me who won this draft in terms of who they got in talent-wise out of the draft alone, I think I'd have to say Tim Sudan in Chrome for getting a top two or a, a top five player, excuse me, at third overall and then again at 12th overall. What's your thought on that and how does both Giles Harris and Terrafango fit in on this Chrome team, especially uh, defensively? Yeah, I think I have to totally agree with you uh, on my big board that I didn't release, just kept it to myself. Let's just say uh, I had both these guys as top five guys and uh, Tim Sudan. He couldn't even believe it when he made that pick um, for Ryan Tarafenko. He was laughing, actually, because he could not believe uh, that the former Buckeye just landed right into his lap. Uh, but let's start with uh, JTGH. He uh what a great pick for them. Um, you know, he's Tim Sudan. You always hear that that term, a pseudo guy, a big pseudo guy. What does that really mean? Well, it's a hard-nosed, tough, physical, gritty team guy. And that's exactly what Giles Harris is. I think that's a, a big pickup for him at three. Maybe some people think uh, he should have been closer down to that five, six range at three. No problem whatsoever grabbing him there. Uh, but the real big value pick for me, as you mentioned it as well, uh, Ryan Tarafenko. He's a guy that is – he's a unicorn. There's no one really else in this draft quite like him. He can play some short stick D midi. He can take some midfield reps. He can even take some face-offs for you as well. He dominates ground balls, whether it's from the wing or picking up loose balls in his own end and running it down the field. I think that's that's just those two pieces there without even bringing up, grabbing like a guy like a Justin Anderson from North Carolina or Jackson Morrill. You mentioned him as well. Those are great depth pieces as well. Uh, but to grab those first two guys, uh, they are going to be immediate impact guys, not just down the road in a few years. I think right away, and, and I've said it before, I'll say it again, I think Tarafenko, not just uh, being a value pick here, I think he could be one of the most impactful players in year one uh, coming out of this draft. Terrafenko obviously playing a ton of different roles, but you look at kind of how these teams got out of the first two rounds. The Atlas obviously had four picks in those first 11 selections, so four four chances there to, to select uh, Ryan Terrafenko if they wanted to. But if you look at the Atlas, Jeff T, Docs Aiken, Jake Carraway, Danny Logan. I still think it, JT Giles-Harris and Ryan Terrafenko is a better duo than than getting all four of those guys that, that whole uh, group there. But obviously getting two top five uh, players here, with those first two-round picks, excited to see what Giles Harris brings to the table and where he slots in defensively for this Chrome team, joining what is right now a very deep defensive group there for Chrome. Obviously, we did hear that Tom Rigney probably won't be available this summer. Some other names as well uh, in question, but 
Giles Harris, definitely another body here uh, that should add some depth. And then Tara Fanko, expect to see him, as you're saying, all over the field, including at the faceoff dot, giving Connor Farrell some breathers, as he's only the uh, he's currently the only specialist on that Chrome roster right now. And it does look like that might be the case going into the season. So expecting Tara Fanko to take some draws for this team. And there was actually some people calling for Sudan to take TD Erlen at three, which I never personally got on board with. Obviously, a ton of talent on the board there at three overall to help make your team better beyond another face-off guy to pair with Connor Farrell, who's been one of the best in the game over the past two seasons. That's not, you know, that's no knock on TD at all. I just believe and still believe that there were other areas of emphasis here for Coach Sudan. And as you said, laughing that he got Tarafenko there at 12 overall, along with Giles Harris at three. And it, then it looks like really the first time ever, I'd say, that one of these head coaches was on the same page as me not going TD there at three overall. <laughs> But then the late addition here for Sudan defensively, C.J. Cosbiel brought in ahead of training camp. So Chrome, according to my records, sitting at 32 players with the 30 uh, 33rd excuse me, being Foster Huggins on that holdout list. So we'll see in the next few weeks how Sudan puts together the final product of this team as Chrome heads towards training camp. Let's move on to the Redwoods, who after watching Sudan pass on him, grabbed faceoff specialist T.D. Erland to be the faceoff man, hopefully, of the future for Nat St. Laurent and co. He also had a fourth specialist in Notre Dame's Charlie Leonard at the end of the draft, as well as two midfielders in Charlie Bertrand and Jamie Trimpoli. Pat, what are your takeaways from these selections? St. Laurent adding some young midfield talent to pair with his veterans, particularly Joe Walters and Kyle Harrison, and then creating some faceoff competition for a team that ranked at the bottom of la uh, at last year's tournament, trying to turn the tide here uh, in that department in 2021. Well, you knew that this pick for TD Erlen was coming um, for, for the Redwoods pretty much from when the season was over. You knew that everyone knew that they had to go out and get an impact face-off guy. Uh, and then even with the way that the the draft unrolled, um, TD being there, that that that's what they had to do. They had to go out and get an impact face-off guy. And who better than one of the greatest face-off guys in NCAA history? Uh, I think he's going to provide something that the team has been missing since their very first season, uh, and especially last year in the championship series. But I, that's a great pick. Don't get me wrong, but I almost like this Charlie Bertrand pick uh, just as much. Another value, value pick, uh, a guy that uh, can you know, look, will look really well um, at the midfield position with a team that's already stacked at midfield, but you could probably play a little bit of attack as well. But I think this is a guy that has a very, very high ceiling. He's not going to be have to, you know, forced into a role to be an impact player right away. Uh, they can be kind of patient with him, um, but he also has the ability to go in right away and be that impact player, be a guy that can contribute right away. I know there's a lot of people that are very high on him and for good reason, uh, but not really knowing why he fell so far uh, down the list. And Jamie Tremboli, another nice depth piece as well at the midfield, can kind of play both ways as well. So, uh, and, and then the Charlie Leonard pick, yes, you know what, that does add some, you know, you know, inner team competition or that second guy. Maybe there was just someone not on the board that, you know, uh, Coach St. Um, Laurent didn't really like, so he went that way. Uh, I don't I don't love the pick necessarily, but the first two picks and even the Tromboli pick there, I, I think he did a fine enough job and has done a great, great job overall um, in this offseason so far. Or I guess now it's done, I should say. Absolutely. Those last those uh last picks towards the end of the draft. Charlie Bertrand being a, a D2 standout for most of his career. He obviously just recently transferred 
into the into Virginia, into the, the ACC Division One. So getting to see more on really because we really didn't get to see much of him in the past. So we're definitely getting a, a big chance here this season to see him go. Charlie Leonard, the last pick of that draft, that was from the Jules Henningberg trade from two years ago to get to get this uh, final pick of the draft, and then the Charlie Bertrand pick coming by way of that Andrew Q trade. Uh, this past offseason when the Redwoods picked up Andrew Q and then sent him to the Cannons for that pick. The Redwoods currently sitting at 30 players, and like every team, will need to get down to 25 after training camp. So we will see how Coach St. Laurent puts together this team, already a guy from last year that we won't see here in 2021, defensive midfielder Tyler Dunn, who also picked up a pull in last year's tournament. He was released ahead of Friday's deadline after St. Laurent added Isaiah Davis-Allen this offseason. So we're already starting to see how this team is piecing together. Let's keep it moving here. Chrome picked third overall, followed by the Redwoods at four, and the Archers at five. Head coach Chris Bates addressing each aspect of his roster this offseason. He made a trade for attackman Connor Fields back in March. He had another attackman and a midfielder in the entry draft and ensuing waiver period, along with defenseman Graham Hossack, who went second overall in the entry draft, and Warren Jeffrey, who went in round three. And then some more depth added in the form of Latrell Harris, a fan favorite here. At flash, Nick Washuda added to bring more depth in cage, and Noah Rack picked up on Friday just ahead of the waiver deadline. So aside from this college draft, a busy offseason here for Coach Bates, and he kept it going last Monday night. Jared Connors fell to him at five to, come, to become probably the best backup LSM in the league in 2021, probably the best LSM duo in Scott Ratliff and Jared Connors. Trey LeClaire was then arguably the best player, best midfielder left on the board at 13. Bates passing on faceoff specialist Kyle Gallagher, who was then taken with the next pick. And then Bates, without a pick in round four, traded back into round three for UMass midfielder Jeff Trainer. And then three picks later, he got his faceoff man in Connor Gaffney, the third of five specialists taken in to get Jeff Trainer. Bates sent defensive midfielder Eli Gobrecht, which in my opinion, a, head a uh, serious head scratcher. It looked like the Archers had the best defense in the league with Gobrecht on it and with the addition of Connors. I don't know if you can say the same about that, but do you share the same belief about that Gobrecht trade? And what's your grade here on Chris Bates' draft, taking the loss of Gobrecht into account? I think the loss to, to Gobrecht is is obviously huge. And I, I we'll, we'll kind of get into what the Water Dogs did a little bit later. But I, I think that, yeah, that hurts big time. I think that's – but – I think sneakily they did have one of the better defenses in the PLL, but their, their mo motive, um, you know, their, their mojo, the, the way that, you know, their identity really is it's with that loaded attack and loaded midfield. So I think they had a little bit to give to get. Um, and then also when you do add another stud LSM, in Jared Connors, you mentioned it. Now you have probably the best one-two punch uh, in the league, and you have a guy that is going to be, you know, a, an elite talent for a long time. I think what they were able to do with the draft, though, as well, grabbing a guy like Trey Leclaire, uh, who's primarily attackman down at the Ohio State, but. Uh, let's be honest here. I, I'm a big Trey guy. I think he's a great player. If he's going to want to play right away, he's going to have to run out of the box. And he does have the skill set to do it. He's a pretty big frame. Uh, he's a great shooter, probably one of the best shooters in this draft. Uh, but he also has the ability to be a playmaker um, and, and alongside some great midfielders on that team. Uh, I'd really like to see what he's going to be able to do with a guy like Tom Schreiber. So I, I think, yes, you know, off the off the hop, I was one who was kind of 
kind of concerned or worried what they were doing there with that trade. Uh, but I think they're in a win now mode. And I think that they want to continue to build on having one of the most explosive offenses um, in the game. So they were able to kind of make a move, uh, have someone who's a little bit expendable in Gobrek. I think Gobrek's going to be unbelievable with the water dogs, uh, but I wouldn't be hitting the panic button by any stretch of the imagination uh, if I was an Archers fan. Absolutely. The Archers still having a great defense there down low. Just obviously Eli Gobrek being a piece that we saw last season thrive. We've seen him in the past against some of these uh, PLL attackmen that we now see in the league thrived in the past. So obviously now with the War Dogs uh, pairing up with a former uh, teammate of his and Dylan Ward, very excited to see what, what the War Dogs look like this season. But the Archers in getting uh, Jeff Trainer. The Chrome picked with that pick after, obviously, the Archers trading up into round three. The pick after would have been the Chrome. Jeff Trainer, a UMass guy. Tim Sudan, a former UMass yeah. guy. You can probably see where I'm going with this. Very likely that Tim Sudan was going to take Jeff Trainer there in the third round, obviously. Chris Bates trading up to get him, so had to have some kind of definitely a plan here for Chris Bates. It wasn't, he wasn't just trading Eli Gobrek. Definitely a plan here in bringing in Jeff Trainer. Let's move on to the defending champ, Whipsnakes, uh, Whip selecting seventh in this draft. Originally followed by the expansion Canyons, but they traded the selection to the Atlas in the deal to acquire Paul Rabel. And Coach Dagnita, after not losing a game in what is now over a year and a half, looking to keep that streak going. In round one at seven, he grabbed the first midfielder off the board in Connor Kirst. At the end of round two, he found Ryan Tierney, attackman out of Hofstra, and then he addressed the defense in rounds three and four. Denver's Colin Squires in round three and Maryland's Nick Grill in uh, round four, adding yet another Maryland pull and body to this Whipsnakes team. How do you expect these pieces to fit in for Coach Stagnita, especially uh, Kirst and Tierney on offense? Well, I think with Kirst, it's another example of a skilled attackman that's going to have to run out of the box just due to the fact how good uh, that this attack is. But he has the skill set um, to be a great PLL midfielder. He's a big body uh, standing at 6'3". Um, you know, 230 pounds. That's a big, big boy running downhill. Uh, but with that being said, he's pretty quick too. He's got a great shot. And I think he's going to fit in with this midfield position really well. And same thing, as I mentioned, with some of the other teams, that he's not going to have to come in right away and, and light the world on fire. He's going to have an opportunity to be a little bit of, of a depth place or a depth piece. And that could not be more of the case with Ryan Tierney as well. A very raw, talented, uh, skilled, attackman from Hofstra uh, we maybe not see we don't see Hofstra as much as some of the other big programs but we see Ryan Tierney each and every week on your Twitter on ESPN seeing those highlight real goals he's everywhere he's everywhere and uh, is it not just so perfect that he kind of just slowly falls down the board a lot of people were saying oh maybe he's going to jump up the board he's now really put his name on the map but he does kind of fall down and falls right into the laps of the ship snakes and now this is a guy especially he could just sit on the bench all year long practice with the team and just kind of learn the ropes becoming a pro, and that would be fine. But he is such a high uh, skill set that I think even when he does get into games as a debt player, I think he's going to turn some heads. I think this is a great pick for, for a team that's already loaded. And I think when you have such little needs in a draft, you can kind of go out and be creative. You can take the risky pick, grabbing a guy like Tierney who maybe doesn't have the pedigree of some of these top guys have. Uh, you can go ahead, grab Connor Kirst, 
in the first round, uh, you know, and not really have to worry about, okay, well, is he going to be the best player right now? You don't have to worry about that if, if you're the Whip Snakes. You already have the best team in the league. You don't need to get better right now. What you need to do is start worrying about year three, year four, year five down the road. And those are two guys that probably are going to contribute in the next few years as well. But those are guys who have potential to be stars in the next few years after that as well kind of the good thing that we're seeing with all these teams because they're so deep the the young talent coming in they should have some time to develop to get comfortable yep. with the PLO with the with the new PLO rules obviously the Sean Field someone that they've never played with uh in college so definitely a good good opportunity here as you're saying for Kirsten with with Tierney again we're saying it with most of these uh players drafted in this draft obviously last year we didn't see many of the guys in last year's draft play in the tournament but we should see a few of them in this year's draft play but Probably not as much, but definitely excited for that. Coach Stagnita and the Whip Snakes getting set for training camp. Stagnita even adding a few bodies in attackman Simon Matthias after he was released by Chrome. Midfielder Jack Jasinski and goalies Reed Junkin and Alex Reddy. So excited to see what the defending champions look like here in 2021. All right, so there's our draft recap. We're going to keep rolling here because we do have some trades to discuss as well. Let's start with the one involving today's guest as Dylan uh, goalie Dylan Ward was traded from the chaos to the water dogs for attackman Westberg in a first round pick in next year's college draft. Andy Copeland, hopefully adding his goalie for not just this season, but for the foreseeable future. That's at least the expectation when first round picks are dealt around, but what kind of impact do you expect Ward to make here in, in year one, anchoring this water dogs defense a defense that's going to look very, very different in 2020. Uh, I, 2021. You know, yeah. Do you know what the thing is? This, this, this maybe was, an expansion team last year, a team, you know, that battled hard, was always close in games. Yes, the record, not where they wanted to be. And definitely Andy Copeland has said that's not where they wanted to be. But now they are a team that certainly has an opportunity to make some noise, not only be one of the most improved teams, but a team that could compete in the playoffs and make a surprise run here. Uh, and what better way to do that than go out and get arguably one of the best goalies on planet earth in Dylan Ward. And I think a lot of people forget how good Dylan Ward is at stopping balls. He does it in the NLL. He's one of the best goalies there. If not there, he does it in the field game with team Canada. He is a world class goalie, but we just didn't have a team and 2018 goalie of the tournament, 2014 MVP. Probably would have been a 2018 MVP. I'd imagine if Canada was to have beaten the U S in that read the form. resume. Read the resume. It is ridiculous how good this guy is at every single level. And he sat on that bench with the chaos in and was placed in, in his sweatpants. Yes, exactly. And he was Blaze Ridden's number one fan, you know, and he that's the thing. He's a leader. He's a guy that just wants to win. Whether it was Blaze or him, deep down inside, he's not going to say it. He wants to be the guy out there and competing because he is a fierce competitor. But once Andy Towers kind of said that this is our guy, this is who we're rolling with, the next thing, his job now was to, okay, I'm going to try to see what the other team's doing, what's Blaze doing. He just wanted the most success for his team. But going into this offseason, that wasn't going to be good enough anymore. He wanted the opportunity to be a number one goalie because that is exactly what he is. He's a number one goalie, and he's not just a number one goalie on any team. He's one of the best goalies 
in the world. We're going to finally get to see that. And as I mentioned, he's not just a, a ball stopper, a guy that can, you know, make that save, make the outlet pass. He's a quarterback back out there. He's like having an extra defender, maybe not going out and actually defending, but he's an extra set of eyes. He is so smart. He's vocal. He is an anchor back there. And what the Water Dogs have been able to do this offseason, they have not only won the offseason, it's a blowout. They are by far the most improved team. And Andy Copeland has done an unbelievable job. An unbelievable job. And even before this trade, they had the title. This is just the cherry on top, the extra knockout blow. Whatever cliche you want to use, that is what this move is. And I am excited to see the Water Dogs play this season. Get Ryan Brown for a second-round college draft pick. Arguably, I would say send a first round for him. Eli Gobrick for a third. I would probably say send a second round for him. And then Dylan Ward here for this package of uh, Westberg and the fir- a first-round college draft pick in next year's draft. So Andy Copeland hopefully getting his goalie uh, ahead of the 2021 season and the future. And then something, too, we just had Dylan earlier today for the show. Obviously, before you, Pat, we had Dylan on, and, and he said it was, you know, I wanted to be the guy, obviously accepting the role as the season went on, as the tournament, I should say, went on, but wanted to be the guy into this offseason, say, you know, I want to be the guy, talk to Coach Towers. Took a little bit longer than they hoped and they planned, but obviously – getting it done. But Andy Towers adding more uh, draft capital ahead of next year's draft and two more Canadian attackmen to add to this absolute unit that is the chaos uh, offense. Wes Berg coming in by way of this trade with the War Dogs and then attackman Chris Cloutier coming from the Atlas for a third-round pick in next year's draft. Pat, Austin and I were discussing it before. There's like 20 attackmen and midfielders on this chaos roster that are only going to fill like 15 or so spots. So a few talented guys going to be left out in the wind here. But what do you think about these two trades by Towers, adding two more Canadians to uh, the PLO's Team Canada? I, that's exactly what they are. They're, they're Team Canada. Andy Towers is is no stranger to his Canucks, and he continues to just grab more and more. Chris Cloutier, obviously he's a guy that has so much familiarity with his other counterparts in the National Cross League with the, the Bandits, the Buffalo Bandits. Uh, Ian McKay, another pickup that they had in the offseason. So they continue to get these guys that are, you know, used to playing with each other, Dane Smith, um, and then also uh, Josh Byrne as well. So that that that's that's four guys just right there that have played in the indoor game together. And they're guys that have also played together with team Canada as well. So that that's just that move there. Even bringing in Westberg, another team Canada guy, another guy that has familiarity, a great leader, a guy that just wants to win. He's a proven winner at the NCAA uh, level as well. And he's another one of these guys that can kind of play any real position. He's going to play midfielder uh, midfield because he's, that's what he does best. But I think it was Dan Arestia who said, uh, I don't know if it was on GLE or maybe it was on our uh, Twitter spaces, but he said, this is a team that it doesn't really matter if they have an A or an M besides their name, because they just play a different brand of lacrosse that kind of has no positions. You have a guy like Audie Stotts who can run out of the box, play midfielder. Yes, he's a traditional uh, attackman, but he has the skill set to, to, you know, go out and play, um, to play mid, but uh, they also run souts where, you know, a midfielder's in the stack. So he's kind of playing like an attackman guys are popping in and out. You, you have an attackman, you know, dodging from behind the net with a, with a, a short stick or you have midfielder. So there's so many different dynamics to this team. And I don't think it really does matter what position they play. What Andy towers wants is those type of players that fit into his system and his system, the way it works 
is those box lacrosse guys. And as you know, the majority of the box lacrosse players are from up north, and he likes that. He also likes the character aspect of as well. He always compares them to hockey players because the majority of box lacrosse players grow up. Um, it's that humble, um, hard-nosed, hard-working type of players, and that's, I think, who – Andy Towers went out and grabbed not just with these two trades, uh, but they also he did that in the draft as well. But uh, I didn't really talk too much about Chris Cloutier, just about who he was with. But this is another guy. He's a big bruiser. He'll run through you. He can shoot from the outside. He can play the stack, catch and release in the middle. Uh, he's a guy that's just going to perfectly fit into this off uh, into this team. And I think from a character standpoint, and uh, you know, I think he's going to be happier because he's with guys that, that he, he likes. Uh, and I'm not saying things went awry with the Atlas, but you could just tell that he didn't really, you know, he, every time he was in, he would produce, but he was in and he was out. So I think he's going to have a little bit more of a trust with this unit, with this team, with Towers, because I don't think Towers would have, you know, done gone out of his way uh, to to trade for a guy like Chris Cloutier and just keep him on the bench. He knows what he's capable of. He knows the team identity that he wants, and he fits in perfectly here. So another team. I know I said I'm looking forward to uh, watching the Water Dogs this year, which is absolutely true. But I think. Uh, the chaos, another team very similar to the team that we saw last year. Uh, but I think that they've kind of even, I, I was Austin Owens last year. Uh, he said, you know, when we were doing our, um, our maple meter for teams in the PLL, well, uh, he was saying, well, the maple meter is going to break this year because they continue to add more and more and more Canadians. And I think until uh, Andy Towers is no longer the coach of the chaos, this is going to be Team Canada, and he. if you don't like it, well, find a different team to cheer for. To my knowledge, I believe the Maple Meter is coming back. And, yeah, oh, yes. I, I don't think coming into this offseason, I don't think you could have told me, said, hey, he's going to add more Canadians. I probably would have been like, how many more can you possibly add? But Andy Towers going out and getting more Canadians from uh, above the border to, uh, to add to this chaos team heading in. To 2021 I, I'd, I'd say if, if we weren't excited about every team this season I think we'd be lying to everybody absolutely so, and one quick one quick thing sorry Ryan I was going to say is I know there's a lot of talk of you know guys cro crossing the border back and forth well one thing with the chaos well one thing I think once we get a little bit deeper into the season um, things at least here in Canada are going to clean things up with the vaccines and and I think border restrictions for these guys are going to be a little bit easier than uh, just, you know, if I was to cross the border anyways. But another thing that I do know is that that Buffalo bandits house they live in Buffalo. So now you have the, all those guys, they're living in a Buffalo. Yes, they're Canadian, uh, but the border will not be an issue for them. So that that's something that Andy Towers doesn't have to worry about. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, I think on one of the other episodes here before, a lot of these guys that are maybe mainly living in Canada, they're going to do whatever they can to live in the United States for the duration of the season. God forbid something does happen where they do have to stay uh, in Canada for a longer than a, a two-year period or whatever it may be, or two two-week period, I should say. So that shouldn't be a worry if you're a chaos fan. The border should not play too too large of a role for many of these players, especially those four guys down in the uh, the Buffalo House. I would say even too for all fans, some, just based on my conversations with a few people, I know Ryland Reese with the War Dogs said he'll be staying in the States, as you're saying, these guys with chaos will be staying in Buffalo. Dylan Ward, who we just talked to, he'll be in Colorado. So yeah. really, I don't think there'll be much 
issue. I know Kyle Jackson, who's with the Chaos, I think me and Austin were talking about today, he's just moved his entire family to the States uh, yeah. to make sure that he can play this summer and, and going forward. So nothing that, that's going to be too much of an issue. As we were originally – we did originally talk about this, saying, oh, maybe Andy Towers adds some Americans just in case, but doesn't seem like that's going to be an issue. No, absolutely not. And I think – I think Andy Towers, it's 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 pretty clear. I mean, it was clear from day one when he created this roster and he's continued to double down on it. Even if he's not grabbing, a let's say, a guy that is Canadian or has a Canadian passport or maybe he didn't even play some box across, he wants guys that fit that style of play. Um, but if if the box lacrosse players are the guys that fit his system better, he's going to go out and grab those guys. So uh, I think what he's building here, uh, it's going to be an exciting brand of lacrosse. I think what we saw last year that with the championship series, um, you know, obviously they didn't hit the ground running. And in a tournament format, it could have really, really hurt them. Luckily, they were able to kind of pick up steam near the end. I think with a full season here, I think we're going to be able to see that brand of lacrosse. Maybe they might stumble out of the gate again, but I think as this the the season goes on and on and on, we're going to see more of what we saw from the chaos in the playoffs uh, and in the championship game. I think they're going to be a well-oiled machine by the time, you know, halfway of the season goes by. And this is going to be an exciting, exciting team to watch and a team that I think some people maybe are going to kind of like to root against because yes, they're a bunch of misfit guy, Canadian guys, box lacrosse guys. And Andy Towers is a guy that, you know, he loves embracing being disrespected being the underdog, not caring about what anyone else says, uh, not reading the tweets, not reading the headlines. Well, they're reading the headlines and they're using that as motivation. I can guarantee you they're going to do that again uh, in the 2021 season. Pat, appreciate you joining me as always as we take a look back at last Monday's night's draft and then some of the moves we saw ahead of Friday night's trade in waiver deadline and breaking down some other news here as we approach training camp and very, very soon the 2021 PLL season. And for today's show, that's going to do it for Goal Line Extend. I want to thank you all for watching and or listening. And if you are not already, make sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube as well as on whatever podcast platform that you use. Search up Goal Line Extended and you should be able to find it. You can also head on over to the Lacrosse Flash website, lacrosseflash.com. All of our podcasts are there as well as some stories and articles covering all the latest news. You can also follow Goal Line Extended on Instagram and Twitter at GL Extended. All of the links that you will need will be in the description of the video or podcast that you are viewing or listening to right now we will be back on friday make sure to check out gl extended on twitter for more and make sure to follow and subscribe so that you don't miss the show i hope you all have an incredible week and we will be back on friday follow the show on twitter and instagram at gl extended and subscribe to the show on any of your favorite podcast outlets you can find lacrosse flash on twitter instagram and facebook and online at lacrosseflash.com